Hey, everybody. Welcome to Connected. I'm Kyle Van Pelt, co-founder and CEO of MileMarker. My co-host is Judd Mackerel, co-founder of MileMarker as well. Connected is a show about the people and technologies that are shaping and building the wealth management industry. More people than ever are searching for great financial advice, and more firms than ever are trying to figure out how to scale their operations to serve those who are searching for their advice. We believe that better connected technology provides the space for better connected people, which leads to better advice. Welcome to Connected. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Connected. I am your host, Kyle Van Pelt, CEO of MileMarker. And today I have the pleasure of being joined by Aaron Jasper. Aaron is the CEO of The Mutual Group. It's a combo of an RIA and an independent broker dealer that is on a killer growth trajectory. Aaron is an empathetic leader powered by his strength as a relator, which allows him to easily put himself in other people's shoes which has helped him lead Mutual to such great heights that they're seeing now. Aaron's a family man. He's a sports practices chauffeur, a tennis and golf enthusiast, and an overall great guy to have a conversation with. Aaron, did I miss anything in that intro? Uh, other than deeply flawed, flawed human, no. I think he did a pretty good job. <laughs> thanks, Kyle. <laughs> well, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you joining the show. Yeah, great to be here. And uh, this will be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited to just kind of have ha- have the conversation and uh, I'll use the term riff a little with you if that's okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Let's riff, man. Well, starting with that, um, I love to hear people's story about how they got into this industry because they always come from different sides of the coin, right? So how did you get into the wealth management financial services industry? I want to say it was because I was just so smart and amazing, but um, <laughs> that that would be a very big lie. Um, yeah. So how did I, I got into the business. I cut my teeth on this in this industry by starting off at Fidelity Investments as a relationship manager. How I got to Fidelity and what took me into this kind of industry at large is a combination of a couple things. One, so my dad actually was in this business. He wasn't a financial advisor. He worked more kind of on the B2B side of this business. And then he had a number of Great things to say about it, but you know, naturally, as a as a young person, I kind of wanted to create my own path. So, really, had no interest coming out of college to sort of following his footsteps necessarily. So, I sort of charted my own course, uh, and after about you know five five and a half years of working in various industries and primarily technology consulting, I actually uh, you know went back to business school and. You know, one of the things that I went specifically for was to, you know, kind of identify a specific industry that I could really kind of sink my teeth into. And, you know, during business school, you know, kind of fell in love with investing and, and finance and just that whole world. And it really was, I'll call it accidental. And, and then it was, oh my gosh, dad, you, you, dad worked in this business. He probably has some good contacts. And then, you know, as I, I sort of exited or began to think about my exit from business school, started to tap into some of that network that dad had available and made available to me. I landed at Fidelity Investments and, um, the rest is history, as they say. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's amazing. Uh, all things sort of seem to come back to our parents knowing the secrets, right? Sure. And uh, 
Well, and, awesome. and, and as they say, the, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Uh, and sometimes that's, that can be both good and bad, but, uh, but yeah, so. <laughs> I love it. Well, let's talk a little bit about Mutual. So for, for those of you who don't know, uh, you know, Mutual has just been on a pretty impressive run over the past couple of years. You guys have experienced some awesome growth. You kind of sitting in the seat that you are, I'd love to hear what, do, what would you attribute that to? What is, what is the catalyst behind the impressive run for Mutual over the past couple of years? Yeah, I certainly, you know, I'm not going to sort of disavow the the reality of, you know, we've been in a big bull market run, you know, outside of, you know, the markets last year. So that's obviously a nice favorable tailwind that's been behind us over these last, you know, eight and a half years that I've been at the helm of Mutual Group. But yeah, I mean, it's it's our people. I'm one of 65 uh, people here. And, you know, we are just passionate about our, our mission of powering the success of financial advisors. And we have hired you know, with that, you know, looking for that character trait or that capability in individuals. And, and, and I would say that we've just been very good at kind of word of mouth, communicating that, living that out and really, you know, just being a, a listener and a partner to financial advisors. And in turn, that's, that's sort of resulted in us being able to grow and, and increase the, the size of our footprint and the audience that we serve. That's awesome. So you mentioned being a good partner to financial advisors. I think that's a, an interesting, you know, interesting comment to make, right? Because there's a lot of people out in the space who are like trying to grow through bringing advisors onto their platform, right? This is a huge trend, you know, in organic growth as much as people are talking about organic growth. Yep. And not just acquiring firms, but hey, how do you go get someone who's got an established practice to come onto your platform and you all go build and go far together? What's that classic phrase? Like, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So you talk about partnering with advisors. I would love to hear your philosophy on that and, you know, kind of why why you think Mutual is a good place for an established firm to come and, and hang their shingle at. Whew. That's, uh, there's a lot there. <laughs> so <laughs> we got time. Um, yeah. And I, and I want to be, I think to be fair, you know, I think there's something here just in our culture. It's certainly in my, you know, kind of my DNA, but, and obviously I've, I've hired for this, but we kind of think of ourselves as, you know, we're a service business, right? And, and our clients are advisors and, and that's who we're here to serve. So, um, I think it first starts with just that mentality and that mindset and that approach. So then, then you kind of break down, well, well, what, how do you provide really good service and how do you serve others well? I mean, first and foremost, I think it comes down to being a really good listener and not coming at it from a point of view that says we know better, but being just incredibly, you know, collaborative. I think that's the just underwriting, you know, or overriding, I should say, you know, kind of philosophy of the firm, you know, in terms of how we, how we partner with advisors. The firm has its roots in, you know, the brokerage industry and it goes back 40 years. And I am uh, really a G3 kind of leader of this organization. I feel like in many ways, I'm a caretaker of, of sort of a, a particular culture that was already resonated you know, kind of resident here. And I've just had the, the privilege of, of trying to kind of build that and build that up and, and just sort of foster it and, and kind of can continue to see that, you know, support its growth and evolution. The firm was just always a, a real truth teller when it came to working with advisors. It wasn't about how the firm 
can make more money? How does the firm do better here? That sort of mindset has just always been in existence. And so as a result, I think when you come at this concept of partnership with that sort of deep embedded sort of like mindset, you just tend to to think things uh, think about things a little bit differently. We're not running this firm to enrich my life or any of the other owners or employees' lives, but but really we're here to in, enrich you know this partnership, this ecosystem that we've created. And, and again, I think uh, you have to be really honest with each other, both as business operators and owners and, and employers and employees, but also as clients and service providers. We just taken that approach. And I think a lot of transparency and being very real and authentic with our clients really helps. That's, uh, that's awesome. There's a lot to unpack there. But the first thing that comes to mind that I just want to dive into, you talk about being a service company, uh, which I see that I see that when I interact with you, I see that when I've, you know, I've seen your interactions with others. Are there any companies that provide inspiration for you from a service perspective that you go, man, I really would love it if mutual models themselves after this. And it doesn't even have to be in our industry, but sure. anything that you're like, that's great service. I would love for people to, yeah. to view us in that same light. Yeah, it's, it's, there's co I'm constantly kind of on the lookout for, for examples, firms, right? In fact, I just, funny enough, I just actually was exchanging texts with my dad the other day, asking him what books would he recommend if we were going to spend some more time as an organization studying good service and what excellent service looks like and how we deliver that. He gave me a couple books. In fact, I can't even remember one of them, you know, was that the, I think as the founder of Four Seasons, right? Resorts and properties. They're famous and known for their service. Ritz Carlton used to have some fantastic, you know, kind of service. So I don't shop, but maybe once a year and I go to the Nordstrom anniversary sale. So Nordstrom is always known as a good, a company of re with really good service. So yeah, I'm always on the lookout for those. And then quite frankly, I pay a lot of attention to really bad service, actually, and, and try to think about, well, what are some things that well-known brand name companies are doing today that are really disappointing in terms of delivering service? That's actually a trend that I'm paying a lot of attention to right now. And I talk about it a lot with our leadership here. So we can go more into that. And, and again, I think here's the other point, Kyle, I would, I would mention is what's good service today isn't necessarily going to be good service tomorrow. I think the bar is always needing to be raised. And I think that's a good thing. And I think that's a worthy challenge that we can uh, pursue. I hope that helps kind of get at it, but um, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Because what it makes me think about, Aaron, is you know, two of the examples you mentioned were were hotels or you know resort companies, yep. right? And then um, I also think a lot of times people think about restaurants when it comes to this, and uh, it, it's always fascinating to me that those are some of the first places that peak our mind when we think about great service, because it's not too dissimilar from the financial advice industry. Uh, a restaurant or a hotel, for example, they kind of have the same components in the in the same way that it, you know an advisor does, right? An advisor's got the same you know investment vehicles that other advisors have. Right. They're going to do planning. They're going to do whatever. A hotel is going to offer you a, a bed to stay at, right? Uh, a place to get out of the the elements, you know, all of that. A restaurant, it's food ingredients that they put together and recipes to serve you, right? But then everything that happens above that is what 
leads to your experience. That's where I make that connection is what do you need from a hotel? What are you buying? You're buying a place to stay because you're you're away from home and you need some place to stay. But people choose the Four Seasons or Amman Hotels or Ritz-Carlton because they make you feel special. They make you feel seen. They make you feel above and beyond. Same at a great, great restaurant. And I think true with a great advisor yeah. uh, or, or, or a way of serving advisors is, hey, we're all going to be doing investments for our clients. We're going to be helping them plan for retirement. We're going to be helping them achieve their dreams and goals. But how are we doing those small things really well that make them feel incredibly special and seen? And that's, you know, it's yeah. what I hear you talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'd, I'd say there is you know, again, just to be very candid, mutual group, we're a small company, 65 employees, and this industry's got some very large, you know, players out there. But even the largest of the largest firms in this industry of financial advisory firms are pretty small relative to Fortune 500 companies like Apple, Google with, you know, hundreds of thousands of employees. If we're doing service at 65 employees, the challenge for us as leaders here and for me as the, the leader of the firm is how do you scale that service up? How do you replicate that and do that consistently over and over and over again? Right. So you look at, you know, examples of hotels. If you can do it once in one restaurant, not many restaurants, though, can replicate that model over, you know, different, you know, let's call it cities, major cities, metropolitan cities across the country. So it's really hard and uh, it's a great challenge for us. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's stay on that because I actually think adding to the challenge is mutual group is a little bit more complex than your average firm. You're not just an RIA. That's right. You also have the the brokerage firm or an independent broker dealer, as you talk about. So you, I mean, there's different regulations to that. There's different layers of complexity. So two-part question, but how do you continue to think about scaling service in a more complex organization? And, and then we'll talk after that of just, you know, I would love to have you dive in a little bit to the complexities of running a dual organization like that. Yeah. So um, scaling service, and, and it's a great follow-on question because I'll, I'll tell you, we, we spend a lot of time on this. I, I think about this regularly. It is it can be complicated. And, and, and part of the the follow on answer, I want to, you know, just share a perspective to share about scaling service, particularly with, I'll call it complex regulatory, you know, kind of constructs that we're operating in. It can't just be all the same. There has to be a lot of latitude and flexibility and just the the ability to customize and personalize some of these things, right? You know, and I think that's a that is an art, not a science. That's where the culture and the people here come into play in such a big way because this is not widget making, right? We are not pressing metal here every day for the next Tesla, right? We are delivering a very personalized customize sort of service experience and and then you know to now kind of pivot into sort of the complex regulatory structures and, and we're serving advisors that might be working with us in a myriad of ways right so we serve registered investment advisors who might be engaging with our broker dealer we serve financial advisors who may be engaging with our investment management platform. We might be serving RIAs who are consuming some of our outsourced technology capabilities, or what we might be working with IARs who have leveraged our advisory platform. Each one of those is very different 
both from a compliance perspective, but from a product consumption perspective and from an experiential perspective. And yet at some point we have to sort of maintain a consistent kind of, I would say, you know, orientation from a service perspective with all those folks. So as far as the, just to pivot a little bit in terms of the, 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 the businesses, yeah, we have this broker dealer thing. And, uh, some days I, I want to scream out loud about it. And, uh, you know, <laughs> no, we, um, it, it is, I've called it a blessing and a curse, but it, it truly is actually, it, it's still a valuable part of our business. And we've had that the broker dealer actually is sort of where the firm's foundations or roots started in 1982 is when it was founded. And yeah, today, how that broker dealer is being utilized and, and, and sort of, you know, shared for the, the RIA uh, industry is much different than say five years ago and then 10, 15 years ago. We primarily have it as a utility for registered investment advisors who were formerly registered reps, and uh, they still may need to be a registered rep. And that's uh, they're accessing kind of our our kind of hybrid capabilities to be a hybrid advisor, perhaps for certain types of products that they still see a value and a need for in their overall kind of wealth management practice. And it can be a real compliment to an advisor's practice, right? You know, we've just learned though, unfortunately, I, uh, I came to the firm and, and really was a successor CEO to somebody who had a real knack for compliance. That's not me. I, I have a healthy appreciation for compliance. Um, and, and you really have to really understand it. And then I was extremely fortunate to have been able to work under him. And then we hired a, a an individual who just had a great mindset for, you know, practical business minded compliance that was real thoughtful. And, and so that's helped me have not have to get really consumed by this broker dealer kind of FINRA regulatory world. And, 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 you know, at the same time, though, have sort of a, you know, kind of view that there is an opportunity with compliance. If you can simply learn it, embrace it, and then provide just a, a really solid support and service model around compliance, then you can differentiate yourself in the marketplace. And that's what I've tried to do and think about instead of, you know, kind of shaking my fist at the world and saying, I hate compliance or this is frustrating. Cause by the way, compliance is coming to the uh, RIA space. And a lot of folks thought that that was where you could run away from it. And, um, uh, and you might have for a certain period of time, but I uh, rest assured it's coming and it's going to come faster and more furious. And uh, I think this uh, sort of deeply rooted experience from a brokerage compliance perspective will really, I think, help us in the long run here. Uh, but but some days I wish we didn't have that sort of uh, tinge of broker dealer associated with us to a certain extent. There's a lot of value in what you just said, but it also speaks to something you said before, which is, you know, service is not something that can just be set it and forget it, right? It's an always evolving bar, but then add the complexity of the regulatory environment is an always evolving thing. So you might get your service to a place where you want it. And then, well, here comes a new regulatory change. And we have to now change how we serve things with, you know, new requirements or new things. You know, so I'd be curious to hear you just riff on that a little bit, too, it is 
maybe when there's a new compliance requirement for more paperwork for things like that, I think it's it might feel tough to to increase the bar on service. But you being a relator, I'm sure that's that's something you think about is okay. If I was in their shoes, yeah. here's how it would feel. How can we make that more at ease, right? And and then I would say we we need to keep doing better at this. Uh, again, I I was very fortunate to have worked for somebody who just helped me see how kind of comp- how compliance and service can kind of converge. And you cannot just arbitrarily make compliance decisions or craft a compliance program without the input of your clients. Okay. And, and that might seem like counterintuitive, uh, right? Because clients aren't the ones asking for more compliance. They're saying, no, we don't want anything more. In fact, we're good. So recognizing that, okay, compliance is just something we have to live with and operate within. It's a framework in a world that's just the industry at large is a regulated, heavily regulated industry. So let's just say, okay, we're agreeing with that. So whether it's the SEC or FINRA and they're bringing in new regulations, new uh, guidance, et cetera, we have to be extremely thoughtful about how we want to interpret, you know, sort of apply that and, and sort of make that a reality in the experience uh, in lives that our advisors have with us. So we talk a lot with our clients as we're sort of thinking about this and hearing what's coming. Um, you know, I always joke, I mean, we talk to lots of different types of uh, advisors out there, some that run their own RIA, some that are considering folding up an RIA, joining ours. We have relationships with probably a half a dozen compliance consultants out there in the industry whom in some ways we compete with because they're trying to say, hey, no, you should form an RIA. And we're saying, no, you shouldn't form an RIA, join ours. And hey, look, everybody's decision is is individual and personal. And, and we're we're getting that. We get that. But we have compliance consultants on retainer, right? We work with these folks to get their perspective. So we don't just think, okay, here's how we're going to do it. We know it best. And don't just sort of shove it down and jam it down anybody's throats. We consult with clients. We have robust internal debates and discussions about how this sort of manifests from a service and experiential perspective. And it doesn't mean we do it right every time. Right. We, we, we know that sometimes we have to go back to the drawing board and refine it. Right. But in recognizing that again, it's, it's tough. Right. Uh, it, it is tough to, to kind of digest some of this stuff. And as much as, you know, we do want to sometimes roll our eyes at the regulators and question what the heck were they thinking on this. Uh, but it is the world we live in. Right. So yeah. So, so I hope that kind of gives just a, a little bit of a perspective in terms of how we're trying to deal with this, all of this out there. Um, it, it could be tricky just recognizing that it's, it's probably only going to get trickier as we go forward. So I hear you talking about a lot of intentionality behind how you're trying to do these things at Mutual and, and the seat that you sit in. And, and for a lot of the people who listen to this, they're in a similar seat. And I think my question centers around, as a leader, you want to have the most intentional plans for what to do with your firm and all of that. But when you're also a high growth firm, there's just things happening, right? Where you almost have a tiger by the tail. And it's like, how do you sort of try to manage those two things of, look, we're just growing and things are happening and we're trying to keep up. But also, man, I have these really intentional ideas I want to install into the organization. I want to make them happen. But it's never going to slow down enough for you to just like, OK, everybody, get off the merry-go-round. I'm going to install these intentional ideas. And they're like, Aaron, what are you talking about? Like, you know, this is going gangbusters over here. We're just trying. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about 
How do we manage to intentionally put things into the business that is also growing so rapidly? <laughs> uh, boy, Kyle, I feel like you're kind of sitting, uh, listening to all my phone conversations and inside of my hand, because yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. Gosh, I want to say there's a silver bullet and here's the answer, but there's not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a couple things I'll share, but there's one thing in particular. So we have a, yeah, it's our mission, and and I and I want to say this is kind of hokey, but I I kind of always keep going back to this mission statement, and it's very simple. I mean, it's like I, I'm by the way, like somebody of of a simple mind. I'm just like, all right, give me three words. So powering your success, right? So I just kind of always go back to all right. Powering your success, powering your success. I just have to kind of play that on repeat in my head a lot. And then sort of it helps me kind of put some framework around how you deal with all that is happening in this business on a day to day basis and in sort of managing some of these these dynamics. And yet at the same time, not sort of losing your focus for what you're where you're going. Right. So. Uh, from a practical perspective, I mean, gosh, for me, I, I mean, it is up to me to to sort of help sort of uh, sort of direct the arc of the company. And um, I think I've just appreciated that more and more over the last two to three years. You know, I, I was probably more in the swirl, you know, at first. And then, you know, as I've <laughs> quote unquote matured. Uh, you, you know, you just, you recognize that nobody else is going to kind of help sort of, sort of direct the arc of this company other than me. And it's not me doing it, but it's me kind of creating the, 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 the framing, if you will, in the direction and, and just sort of some of the lanes and some of the, the stories and some of the messages. So that's actually, uh, you know, kind of what I, I view is, is really important for me to do. And, and so, and then I ask, well, how do I do that? You know, I, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I read a ton. I, you know, engage with other people in this industry just in terms of, a it constantly networking. I have conversations with our leadership team, my business partners. I, I take long, long walks a lot of times <laughs> and, and have a, uh, try to be very scheduled, disciplined. Uh, just to kind of think, because that's what I need to do. So those are just some of the things, I guess. I won't go into all the you know the dirty details, but yeah, those are just some ideas. I, I've I joined a, uh, I was just there yesterday. I take a day a month and do a, a CEO, you know, kind of networking group that's completely industry agnostic. So I'm getting perspective from lots of other you know business owners out there in the marketplace and across all different types of, of industries and just listening and learning uh, from them and recognizing that there's constantly, you know, work I have to do and learning that I can do to be a better leader of this company. So, um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a great answer. I, I feel like what I heard there a little bit is, you know, you try to understand that you're not going to be able to control all of it, um, but you have desires for where you want this to be, where you want to guide the company. And so, an analogy that popped into my head for some reason is it's almost like you've got this this business or this company that's like a racehorse. And if you just let a racehorse go anywhere, it's going to run any which way. But Aaron and team are out there trying to put, you know, the the Kentucky Derby tracks yeah. right out so that this horse goes, you know, in the direction you want it to be. And you have to be out in front. You can't be doing that from behind. And so, you know, I think that's, that's right. the challenge of that seat is how am I constantly out in front of that growth, trying to help guide and direct where this uh, this rocket ship is going. 
Yeah, that's right. And 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 definitely um you know, have some bogeys, right, that you put out there for sure that yeah. that are kind of your north star. And we do. And those are always, you know, getting re- revisited as well. But but absolutely. Yeah. Love it. So talking about being out in front a little bit, would love for you to get out your crystal ball and look at as the tape rolls forward, what do you think is going to happen in our industry, right? So much has changed in this space with COVID accelerating trends. Everybody talks about that, you know, with the bull market sort of, uh, you know, hiccuping. I mean, again, the, you know, you look at things now, markets seem to be back into a pretty positive place, but the days of just always up and to the right seem to be kind of going away, all of these sort of things. But get out your crystal ball. Tell us from where you sit, where you see things going in our industry. It's a, it's a, Good question, because part of me wants to be somewhat cynical and say, well, nothing will change. And why I I joke about that is at the end of the day, I have to go back and ask the simple question. If I look at the future, is the investor, does their needs really change all that much? And I actually don't think they do. A, A financial advisor is serving, a retail financial advisor, to be clear, is serving a retail investor and a retail investor is looking for somebody that they can trust to give them financial advice and counsel. Human nature tells me, I don't think that changes at all. Now let's talk about the delivery of it, right? Do the products look a little bit different? Do we continue to see innovation on the investment side? Absolutely. Do we continue to see more technology coming into this marketplace? Absolutely. AI is just going to be probably a game changer, right? And, you know, I can't even imagine where this is going to go. So, so I think, yeah, technology, innovations, you know, investment innovations, more regulation <laughs> is going to come into this industry. But at the same time, the needs of the investors are not going to change. I think they need personalized, relationship-oriented financial advice because, well, why would they be seeking it in the first place? Because they want to make sure that they are able to live out the life that they've envisioned for themselves. And again, that looks different for every single person out there, right? A robot's not going to be able to create the perfect answer to that and solve for that. So in my view, Financial advice being delivered by financial advisors is going to be still a very human kind of flesh to flesh, heart to heart, face to face interaction. And uh, I think, yeah, the industry, though, will continue to see lots of new enhancements uh, and changes. Uh, but that's that's just kind of been inevitable. And to your point about markets, yeah. Uh, they'll go up, they'll go down, right? There's lots of smart people out there that can tell you why things are going to happen and when they'll happen. And, and maybe you should be careful about when somebody says they will happen. So, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, you know, markets go up, markets go down, right? So <laughs> yep. that's, that's how it's been since the very beginning, at least, yeah. right? I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. That's right. That's right. What, where I'm, I'm sort of spending some, some time really thinking about this though is, there does seem to be a, a a good conversation happening in the industry. And I, again, conversation meaning I'm, I'm hearing people talking about it. I'm listening to podcasts. I read all the articles on a, on a pretty regular basis. I mean, just, you know, more and more specialization within the role of the financial advisor practice, right? You know, technology 
is is a is a wonderful thing. But look, I mean, not all financial advisors need to be consuming and using technology, even though that's sort of the the buyer in the marketplace is the financial advisor, right? The business needs the technology. The advisor needs to be supported with it. And yet at the same time, freed from it to be able to do what they do best. And I think so. This is partly uh, the process of this industry maturing with more, you know, again, role specialization, business specialization and sophistication, et cetera. So, so I think that's something I'm, I'm really, really spending a lot of time thinking about. And then obviously how that translates to mutual group and how we ultimately support and provide services around that. So. Yeah, that's a refreshing answer because uh, a lot of times people love to just talk about the technology and all of that thing or all of those things. Yep. It's interesting to hear you say, I mean, yeah, of course, those things are going to happen because they've been happening. Just like the markets go up and down, new technology gets delivered to the market. I'm sure there's going to be new things that come out. But almost in a Jeff Bezos style, what you said is what's not going to change? Well, what's not going to change is that end investors are going to have questions about what their life is going to look like financially. They're going to want somebody that they can that knows them, that can personalize to them, that they can trust, who's going to help them navigate that. And how that gets delivered, hard to tell, but what's not going to change is that. And I think that's a, a refreshing answer from you. Yeah. Thanks. So as we we move here, one of the things I love to do in these interviews is what I call like the beyond the bio portion of this. So we've gotten to hear about Aaron as the, the CEO of the Mutual Group. Uh, we've been able to hear you talk about the complexities and challenges of scaling service of navigating regulatory environments. But I think a lot of people want to know, well, who is the person beyond the work a bit? And, and when I was researching this, there was there was something that I found, which just a small phrase, but open-ended where it's, you know, Aaron is always looking for the next adventure. Uh, and, <laughs> and that that flagged out to me. I thought that was really interesting. So I wanted to kind of give you an open-ended chance here to just talk about what outside of mutual, outside of work, what is currently the next adventure for Aaron Jasper? Oh boy. Uh, what's the next adventure? Uh, so <laughs> I've always, I've got a litany of things. Uh, I just got an electric mountain bike, by the way. So, uh, uh yeah, that, that's, uh, that was a little summer splurge, but, um, so I'm, I'm playing around with that a lot, uh, and having some fun, uh, trying not to break anything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, the next big adventure, I'll tell you, this is uh, something I was just talking about with my wife the other day. I've got eight marathons under my belt, and I kind of want to hit 10 by 50, and okay. it just sounds like a cool thing to do, And uh, but I got to be honest with you, the last one I did was miserable, and uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm sort of questioning why I'm even saying this, but um, I, I, I sort of kind of wrote it in my head and and now I actually wrote it on paper and and that means I'll, oh, man. I'm going to do it. So got to go do it. So I got I think you know 3 and a half years to get two more in and uh one of them I'd like to run is the New York City Marathon. So I've okay. I've run Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, Boston, so all the big city ones which are great except for New York. So I think uh unfortunately I'm going to have to start running quite a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> you got to change some of those long walks into long runs, yeah, right? Yeah. So, uh, although it, it, it's it's 
It's super funny. Like I, uh, when I do a lot of running or I have done a lot of running, I, I mean, I listen, a lot of people listen to music. I listen to books and podcasts. My strengths finder, one of my top strengths is input guy. So I just, I feed myself with information constantly. So, um, actually running is a good thing for me from an input perspective because I get a lot of good learning that happens during those seasons. So my wife though was really questioning whether I should do that or not. Cause she's like, you're going to, overschedule yourself and, you know, all that stuff, but we'll see. Um, so, so yeah, so that's a little bit uh, going on. And then my next big adventure, I, you know, just again, a little bit on the personal, uh, you know, I, I've got a 15 year old son who, uh, you know, in a couple of days actually is starting his sophomore year of high school. And, and I know you've got kids too, Kyle. I mean, uh, so I've got a 15 and 11 year old, two boys, but the 15 year old is kind of just, uh, a great kid. His kind of growing up has sort of like just, caused me to just think a lot. And, you know, there's this expression you hear that, you know, let's call it wiser, older parents tell you as it goes so fast. And I'm like, well, so I never really sort of understood that concept. Uh, and I'm like, well, time doesn't actually move any faster. It actually operates at the same rate, right? So something's going on here, but and we're all saying the same thing, but what does that really mean? And so I finally was able to put my finger on it when my my 15-year-old began to get picked up by older kids who drive. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, you mean I'm not taking you there. I'm not picking you up from there. You're actually uh, no longer, um, you know, I guess I'm not sort of in control, so to speak. And so... So the, the, the time that I get with him now is fewer and far, you know, less. Uh, and, and that's part of just growing up and maturity. And, uh, so anyway, uh, that next adventure is really trying to just, I think, be the best dad this, in this new season of, of life for my 15 year old son. And obviously just really, you know, what I, I believe set him up for success, you know, as he, becomes an adult one day here in a, in a very short period of time that, and it's going to happen quickly. And I want to make sure that he has uh, all the skills and tools he needs to be successful in this world. So that, that's kind of the, what's going on. <laughs> yeah. I, I love it. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe personal more than anything else, but that's the type of stuff that I think that's what it's all about, yeah. right? We do all this other stuff for those exact reasons. And I love hearing about people striving. Everybody wants to be the best parent they can be. Everybody wants, you know, their kids to turn out well, but it's a journey and uh, it's, it's cool to hear you talk about that. And it's, and it's cool to hear you share that. So thanks so much for, yeah. for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, uh, we'll, we'll work on our, we'll talk about golf another time. So uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know it. I'm always happy to talk about, talk about golf, but um, you know, Aaron, this has been an incredible conversation. I think you've dropped a lot of insight into what it's like to sit in the seat of a of a firm that's growing, that's navigating lots of changes, and that's that's so much of our audience is as people sitting there going, "Man, you know, I never thought that this would become what it has become." Yeah. Um, you know, I, I got into this business to to serve people, to help them achieve their financial dreams and goals. And now all of a sudden, I've got this business bigger than I thought. It's more complex than ever, navigating all these crazy things. And I wanted to do well. Um, and I think you shared so many great insights in that. So thanks so much for joining the show today and and uh, being a part of the community. Thanks, Kyle. And um, thanks for having me. And I, just fun to chit chat with you. And, and, you know, if I could just say, hey, thanks for just what you're doing for this industry. And um it's just been fun to get to know you uh, and work with you and Judd uh, and just 
just talk about where we go from here and how can we, you know, just kind of together mix it up and, and sort of improve this this industry. And um, yeah, so what you're doing through this and, and through your, your efforts with Milemarker are are really uh, just amazing to you know be a part of of witnessing and and just you know talking about so so thank you and uh, yeah thanks for having me absolutely there's no better place to end than that so everybody thanks so much for listening to another episode of Connected we'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Connected. This podcast is brought to you by MileMarker, and it is produced by Turncast. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps us and our show. And for more information about MileMarker and Connected, visit us at milemarker.co.